Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit, even on evenings and weekends. You can even see us online with telehealth options. For quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's healthier made easier. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. Welcome to the show. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast, a podcast that I do because I'm a wrestling fan and it's a it's a big week for me as a wrestling fan because my first real favorite wrestler, the one guy that really drew me in to saying I'm a fan of this guy. Of course, you know, you grow up and the the first guy you notice is Hulk Hogan and He's the first guy you dress up as for Halloween, and he's your first action figure. But that's kind of by default. No disrespect to the immortal Hulkster, but that's kind of by default. The first guy that I really identified with, that I was able to turn on the television and say, that's my guy, that's the guy I'm most interested in, was no doubt about it. The guy who we found out last night, yesterday really, is going into this year's Hall of Fame. Finally, Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, I'll talk about him going into the Hall of Fame. Also, a big week for me as a wrestling fan because this week on the podcast, good old JR, Jim Ross, the guy who dictated what sports entertainment sounded like throughout my my formative High school, college years. The guy who, who, as wrestling was getting cool, was there with his cowboy hat to ride that ride. And to help, I mean, make it sound cool. Good old JR, Jim Ross. He's called uh, some of the most important calls in all of pro wrestling history. Uh, I've talked to him about his past. You can find, I, I talked to him for over an hour About a year ago. You can find that on YouTube if you search for Sam Roberts and Jim Ross. Uh, But this time I wanted to talk to him not only about Randy Savage entering the Hall of Fame. But uh, he's fresh back from Tokyo. He just called uh, the New Japan pay-per-view Wrestle Kingdom 9 that we talked about a week or two ago here on the podcast. I wanted to talk to him all about that. Find out what it was like traveling out there and... Talk to him about his upcoming one-man shows. He's doing one on Friday, January 23rd in Sayreville, New Jersey, and one on Sunday, January 25th, a few hours before the Royal Rumble event uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I will be hosting with Jim Ross the event on Friday, January 23rd in Sayreville, New Jersey, uh, ringside an evening with Jim Ross. I will be there on the Friday show in Sayerville. If you can make it out there, make it out there. And you still have time. Go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts, and you can get a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt so I can see how big of a fan you really are. And that's going to make me feel special. What's going to make you feel special is this interview that I have to share with you. The interview for this week's Sam Roberts Wrestling po- Podcast, excuse me, is Mr. Jim Ross. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. And let's welcome to the show my pal, good old JR, Jim Ross. Welcome, my friend. Hey, Sam, I'm trying to grow my hair like you, but I'm having issues. Well, you know what it is? I think it's that hat. I think the hat, the, the, there, there's certain uh, environmental conditions that the hair needs to feel that you can't, I mean, walking around with a hat on, you're just not going to expose yourself to the right elements. Yeah, and, I, and it also, you have to battle to hat hair. Yeah, yeah. See, I had to give up on that a long time ago. I, uh, hats are not an option for me. And in, in the winter, 
if I want to put a hat on to keep my head warm or whatever, it's I know all day. You know, you make the choice at the beginning of the day. Is it going to be a hat day or not a hat day? Because the hat, yeah. the hat coming off is not an option. Yeah, you have to uh, avoid photography. Yeah, altogether. For those um, of you with the benefit of still photography. <laughs> That's right. Now, you're just back fresh from, from Tokyo. Yeah, I'm, I'm fairly fresh. Yeah. How, how was the trip? I, I showered and everything. I'm good. Good. I would hope so. This is a big, oh, big yeah. show. Oh, yeah. Big show. You have to do what you got to do. I changed the underwear. The whole thing. <laughs> I, uh, well, other than the obvious, which is a ridiculously long trip. How long is the is the flight? Uh, it's so long that, no. <laughs> I, tell, I will tell you, it's so long that I watched four full-length motion pictures uh, from Detroit to Narita Airport. Uh, we leave on January 1st. We get there on the afternoon late, uh, as in rush hour, Friday rush hour traffic on the 2nd, and, uh, which I now my body's totally confused. Uh, thank God for Metamucil. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but it was, it was good. The trip was long. The coming back part was, uh, better. I was wore out uh, from my clock being turned around and staying up a little late, if you know what I'm saying. I know. And, uh, so I, uh, I, and then I got back to Detroit and I had a, almost a six hour layover Ugh. in Detroit Ugh. after, after being in after missing all the New Year's Day bowl games, after missing my birthday, after doing that show in the Tokyo Dome, I get back, and what's waiting? Almost a six-hour layover. And you just, in one wrestling trip, remember everything you hated about traveling for wrestling. Correctamundo. That's it. It's just all, it's like, it's like God shined down on you. This is why you don't do this anymore. Yeah, it was a tap on the shoulder. That <laughs> you really want to do this? Yeah. You want to really get on more planes with screaming children and uh, and bitchy passengers yeah. and aloof flight attendants? No. <laughs> so, uh, but the, but at the end of the day, uh, the trip was great. Who do you, I had, a, had a lot of fun. Who do you hang out with over there? Because it's not, you know, I, I feel like a lot of your other wrestling trips, it'd be almost like a reunion of sorts, but... Aside from, I guess, Matt Stryker, who you would have known, who do you know that's over there? Well, I know uh, the Jarretts. Right. Who uh, Jeff Jarrett hired me to uh, do this gig, and his wife, who was formerly, when I met her the first time, she was Mrs. Kurt Angle. Uh, so I knew it's uh, Houston, Pittsburgh, my wife's hometown. Mm. So there's a little uh, connection there. I knew A.J. Styles, uh, Doc Gallows. Um, a lot of the American kids that were there I've met or bumped into, uh, or, or, you know, back in the day or, or even recently at, at things. Uh, so I, some of the wrestlers have come to some of my shows that you and I are doing. Right. Which was cool because they, they were, they were like giggling like kids, you know, some of the stuff that, uh, they heard. And, uh, so it was, that was good. So, uh, that's about it. You hang with your, the people you can communicate with. Uh, it's, the Tokyo Dome Hotel is, I mean, we walked to the venue, so it was really cool. Uh, and uh, it's like right there in this plaza. Nice hotel. The highlight of the entire day, and I would have never done that. This was, would not be on my agenda in America, and that is uh, getting up ridiculously early to go eat breakfast. Because I had no idea what time it was, really. <laughs> so uh, uh, the the Japanese American traditional breakfast buffet was kind of the highlight of the day, and then all of a sudden you look around and it's only you know seven fifteen in the morning. <laughs> so you wonder, okay, well now what's the, what are we doing the rest of the day? Right, you got hours to kill. You can't go out drinking yet. No, <laughs> you got, you got you a four would, hour show to call. You stay down in the you stay at the buffet. And this is really going to be uh, a telling. But you, you set it to the, you sit down in this massive restaurant for maybe two or three hours, because that's where you'd see everybody that was staying in the hotel would come through there at some point to have breakfast. They they were on the same timeline as me. Hey, let's 
you get up, you wake up, just, you're not sure what time it is, so you, well, we can go down and have this, the free breakfast buffet. Right. So uh, I didn't see any historical, uh, I, uh, you know, monuments or buildings or anything like that. But I do know where the where the omelet station is, <laughs> right. Tokyo Dome Hotel. You didn't even think to yourself for a second, maybe I should just go for a walk. I mean, I can I can walk around Tokyo a little bit. I got hours to see the sights. You instead, you just go. I'm just going to sit here and wait. Well, kinda. <laughs> uh, I realized that uh, uh, the early morning of the uh, uh, Saturday, Saturday morning, right. I think it was Saturday. It was about the day of my. It was my birthday, January third. I have my normal six a.m. on a wide awake buffet trip, and then I went for a walk because I realized that I didn't bring my belt or my suspenders. <laughs> so I am now uh, wandering around uh, to this mall. And I finally found a Starbucks where the a couple of people spoke English. Uh-huh. So I go in and get a cup of coffee, and I said, uh, "Please tell me you speak English." And here comes, and she was this, she spoke perfect English, better than me, which is not saying a lot, but better than I. Yeah, because I remember I, I remember going into a, a what they're called bodegas here in New York with you at one point, and you couldn't understand what the guy was talking to you here in New York. So I can't imagine <laughs> trying trying to figure out what they're saying to you in Japan. And you thought I, you'd think I would have got the Northeastern accent <laughs> better after living there a decade or more at, in, in Connecticut. But in, te, in Connecticut, everybody talks like the uh, like Thurston Howell the <laughs> Third. You know, it's a whole different deal. They talk with their teeth together, and you know, it's a lovey. It's me. Uh, it's just uh, it's a different deal. Yeah. But I so I go. I finally find a uh, uh, Japanese person who speaks very good English, working at Starbucks. And uh, I, I told her my dilemma. I need to buy a belt or a pair of suspenders. <laughs> so she, said, she she actually got it and gave me directions to walk to the store. But when I get in the store, it's a different deal. Yeah. They don't speak any English. I'm trying to explain belt and suspenders was out of the question. And so uh, the guy's looking at me like I you know, just got a re- release from some home. He says, uh, you know, you don't get it. And he thinks he's going to be able to get rid of me real easy. I needed a damn belt, bro. <laughs> so I grabbed him. I didn't grab him. I, I, I put my hands on him. I pulled his, his little jacket up. I grabbed him by the belt and shook it. <laughs> this... It shook him. This is, so, why, this is why everybody thinks Americans are so ugly and power-hungry. You just go in and <laughs> shake attendance by their belts that they don't speak your, English, your language in their country. I commandeered, I commandeered him for a second. So I, so I got this belt. said, belt, belt. And, oh, oh. Now, of course I got it. Right. So then he started laughing, and I, of course, laughed because I didn't want to get charged for assault or Whatever. How great would that have been, though, if it was just Stryker calling the show by himself and we find out that you're stuck in a Japanese prison? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Because you, cause you grabbed a guy by his pants in the store. Yeah, where's JR? Well, I don't know, but I would bet you he's sleeping on his back. <laughs> so uh, I, get my, I, I get my belt, and lo and behold, I walk around the, the counter, and there are uh, a huge uh, supply of suspenders. So I hit the mother load. There it was, and that was really my a highlight of my day. I took a walk. Uh, I got a, I got a Starbucks, and I found suspenders in Tokyo. I love the, the your one your one trip into Tokyo. You're like, oh, I need to get something to eat. Starbucks, Starbucks is where I'll go to get some of the local flavor. Yeah. <laughs> so well, it was, it was what I knew. Yeah. And I, and I paid with a credit card, so I don't have I don't have any idea what the cup of coffee was. Could have been twelve, fifteen dollars for all I know. I just. I got my coffee, I got my directions, I got my belt, suspenders, my pants stayed up. It was all cool. Look, I'm with you as far as familiarity goes. I work in New York City, and my lunch spot is Wendy's. I know it. It's familiar. It's where you go. It's right. Um, I, I, one of the observations that a lot of people had listening to the pay-per-view is that uh, you and Matt Stryker seemed happier than people are used to. I didn't really <laughs> I, I, I honestly, I didn't sense happiness, but I sensed a very big difference. I felt like there was a huge difference in the fact that it was 
maybe the first time a lot of wrestling fans in the last 10 years anyway are hearing Jim Ross and Matt Stryker without a producer in their ear. Uh, was that a difficult transition for you to do, for you to figure out how to go back to what you used to do and call this thing without someone piping words into your ear every other sentence? Uh, not really. It, it, it came somewhat instinctual. Uh, you, you just eliminate uh, a lot of the extracurricular things that the announcers, especially in WWE, are required to uh, disseminate, mm-hmm. to incorporate in their broadcast. And uh, so we, we didn't have anything specific uh, to plug. Uh, you know, I could have, I could have uh, done a better job of patting myself on the back about my various projects. I didn't try to sell any barbecue sauce or I didn't. No, but you, you snuck in one for the podcast. I, well, I did. Well, I, <laughs> yeah. Parker started it. You know, he goes to some some podcast that I never heard of in my entire life. <laughs> do it for a buddy. I said, "Oh, so we're, now here's where we are." Yeah, that's that's the business we're in, huh, Striker? Yeah. So uh, because I'm the senior member, we will mention my podcast, <laughs> uh, uh, and you will you will bow at the podcast gods and. And talk about podcast one and Tuesday nights and all that good stuff. So that's right. Uh, we, but no, it wasn't Sam. It was just we wanted to approach this event. There were th- two things we knew we wanted to do. We wanted to uh, we wanted to talk about the ring psychology, the holes, things like that, in a kind of an old, somewhat of an old school. I don't believe. I know it's old school because it isn't used that much anymore on North American TV, but it's still used in other other forms of uh, sports entertainment, so to speak. I mean, the NFL is sports entertainment. Uh, and, of course, some of those yahoos forget their own TV and <laughs> talk, you know, they radio it all. You know, ask, you know, case in point, Jim Nance and Phil Sims. Mm-hmm. It's endless. It's like they're getting paid by the word. Maybe they are. If they are, they're making a lot of money. <laughs> point being is that uh, we wanted to be uh, true to the matches uh, get you involved emotionally in in the matches, to, and then uh, infotain. There was a lot of fans that watched this pay per view. From what feedback I'm seeing, that had never watched New Japan before. Yeah. They didn't know they didn't know the players, and they didn't have a program. So we had to provide that information as best we could. Now I got a rational agree from some M, uh, uh, New Japan aficionados. That said, we already knew that information. We didn't need to hear it from you. Blah blah blah. You know, don't be bitter. And you know, and I want you want to write back and say, look, I remember when I was nine, uh, and you know, I reached puberty early, and I was a little cranky. You know, <laughs> so everything's going to be all right. But you know, it's like, come on, get a life. Uh, we yeah. The biggest uh, the way that company the way that Jarrett the Jarrett's going to make any money is for this pay per view to sell to new fans. And in order to, to get new fans to buy it, enjoy it, and then maybe reinvest if we do another one, is to get them familiar with the players. Yeah, and I think also, you know, you got to be there because part of part of wrestling, I, to me, I think the biggest part of wrestling is the story. It's the why am I watching this? Not necessarily just the spectacle, but why do I care about this? And you cutting things down to things as basic as, look— the tag championships are on the line here. Whoever the champions are get the biggest paycheck, and that's what this is about. And it's like right away you get – I get it. I understand that. Well, it breaks it down to, to terms that we can all relate to. I've said a lot, you know, about wrestling companies that have – they get into creative doldrums. Yeah. Uh, and, and it's happened since – I mean, I've been – I've gone through, you know, dozens of creative doldrums since 1974. It just happens. Mm-hmm. It's all – it's – it's talent and creative based. Uh, if the creative ha- is lame and and therefore the uh, uh, presentation is so-so, or the talent's not emotionally invested in what they're doing, and the presentation then becomes a little bit impotent, then uh, you, uh, you 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 know how to you know how to fix this thing in that in that regard. So I, I just thought that uh, the it was important for us to, you know, we didn't get any creative. We just got it. We just told the backstory. It worked out well. I think people got a good handle on who these guys are. 
their style is different. Yeah. You know, and I don't know, what did you notice when you watched it, what did you notice most about the stylistically in their in their presentation of what they do? Well, I thought the whole thing just looked, sounded, and felt different, which I was saying is, like, super important to me. I feel like we like this has to be an alternative to what we're used to seeing for it to be successful. I thought the pacing of the night was not like anything we'd seen before. The set looked different. The way the ring was set up, the distance between the audience and the ring was different. And then just the style of match. You know, when I started watching the show, I knew it was a four-hour show. And I thought to myself, I'll probably, you know, I got this on the DVR. I'll watch it in increments because that's a long time. And I'm assuming... Because I don't know New Japan all that well. I know the Bullet Club. I know some stuff on YouTube. But I've, I haven't watched full shows. So I'm sitting there under the impression that it's going to be a lot of either flippy stuff or strong style stuff. And it will probably get repetitive. And I found myself watching the entire thing in one sitting. I wow. thought that it moved really well for a four-hour show to move that quickly. And for you to be so confident in what you're presenting in the ring, that you'll just go from match to match to match to match. Like I, I didn't feel like there was any filler. And uh, I found myself uh, caring about m- almost all of the matches based on the way that the wrestlers were, were wrestling, which is not something, you know, when, when I watch WWE or even TNA now, it feels like something I've seen before. Which is, it's like that Wendy's thing. It's it's the familiar thing. I know what I'm getting. I turn my TV on on Monday night, and I know exactly. I know the show that I'm going to get. And really, for the last several months, it's been that exact show. Now it hasn't gone off book. It hasn't surprised me. It's been exactly what I expect. It's my fast food helping. And this thing was like it. It, it really it surprised me in a really uh, good way because I found myself like I was really watching. For the Bullet Club stuff, because, you know, I know Carl Anderson and I, I like Gallows a lot from, you know, from the American stuff he's done and all this stuff. But when I walked out of there and Nakamura is like my favorite wrestler on TV now, yeah. I feel like the show's done something right. Yeah, he's he's a uh, he's extraordinary. Yeah. And speaks good English, uh, well enough to converse, uh, gave me a lot of background information on Saturday uh, you know, the, the irony is that these guys are a certain age, and, and I forget that, you know, I've been doing this for 40 years. Right. And I so uh, and and uh, the, a lot of these kids, because of how they break in and how they're trained, they're really deep-rooted fans. So with that, with that said, they have done all they can to outsource uh, non-Japanese content. Even though uh, when uh, Japanese television has featured many Americans in pivotal roles over the decades, uh, a great deal, but they they were they sought out they were in the tape trading thing and right then getting DVDs and getting friends to send them things and stuff like that. So a lot of those those Japanese guys, the the top three stars especially, were very familiar with my work. And I hadn't, wor- I haven't done play-by-play, especially to that degree, in a few years. So there were a lot of questions for me. You know, what kind of gas you got in your tank? You know, you gonna have anything left in the? Are your pipes gonna be there at the end of the end when it's important? Blah blah blah. But it was really cool because these guys were were fans, and they were uh, when the when Tanahashi came up to me, Mike Striker and I were standing in front of the Tokyo Giants dugout. Uh, in this, at the Tokyo Dome, where they play baseball, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, and he wanted to he take a picture so he could tweet it. <laughs> and I said, uh, oh, you're on Twitter. He said, yeah. And I said, so am I. He said, I know, I follow. <laughs> I, was, I thought that was kind of cool. You know, that social media thing that really does work. It really yeah. gets up there. So, I, you know, I got a chance to talk with him and, and uh, uh, Nakamura. Who I think is just fascinating. I, he's the most—he's the most fascinating wrestler that I've seen uh, in a long time. Let's just put it that way. I don't know what a date, but a long time. Yeah, I mean, I uh, felt like his style like made you want to. There, there's something about him aesthetically that he knows how to command attention. Like you want to watch that guy, and then you watch him in the ring, and he's one of the most believable oh, guys that you've ever seen. Yeah, and. 
You know, he uh, he was telling me that he, as a kid, he was one of those MMA, uh, jiu-jitsu, uh, you know, um, uh, Muay Thai. He took all kinds of, uh, of uh, fighting disciplines that he learned. And he's, he's got a, uh, he's had several official MMA fights and he's done, he's done well, but he, you know, he's, he doesn't want to move to America right now, and he's got this wrestling thing going really well. So he's content with New Japan, and as he should be, because he's one of their top guys. Mm-hmm. Like bread, you got to think. Good yen. <laughs> Good yen. And, uh, A lot of suspenders. Uh, yeah, baby. Hey, so uh, he said that his creative influences were Freddie Mercury and Michael Jackson. So when I saw him on YouTube, and you see how he would prance, or strut to the ring. Yeah, I'm thinking now. What's this guy's gimmick? Right. Is he like a bisexual wrestler? Right. Is he a gay wrestler? Is he? You know, not there's anything wrong with that, Sam. No, but 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 you know, we have gold dust in the states. Is that what he's? Is he? Is he an early '90s gold dust? I I don't you know I don't know. He's just he's bizarre, and he gets everybody to look at him and to pay attention to him. His entrance, if you watch, I watched it last night. As a matter of fact, his entrance. If it had been shot better, where they always kept the, you always want to get that quick, have that quick cover shot to the guy's face, but they missed some things on his entrance that were just priceless, and he did a little strut and a little dance, and he, you know, he he imitates Freddie Mercury, who some people listening to this will have no clue as to who that is, uh, but uh, you know, look up. Freddie Mercury on Google. Google it, kids. Yeah, uh, he's uh, he's he was pretty damn famous once as the lead singer of the Van Queen, and of course Michael Jackson. Most people should know. Uh, so I'm thinking, oh, what is this guy's influence? And they say he's the badass. I mean, he's like one of the toughest, stiffest, most physical wrestlers uh, in the, in the company. So he he makes a big change on that thing. So but he's he's absolutely amazing. His facial expressions. Yeah. His body English. He is a true artisan, and a lot of American guys that are watching, that are working now, I'm talking about in every company at every level could have learned a hell of a lot by watching uh, these guys wrestle because they they do some subtle things that are very simple, that are very, very uh, poignant and important to the match getting over. Is there any part of you that's still that uh, guy searching for talent, that talent scout that's that's watching this show Kind of figuring out who would work in the WWE. Absolutely, yeah. You can't. Uh, I, it's it's a, an internal thing. It's like your internal clock. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. I watched the Okada kid, uh, the blonde kid that worked in the last match against Tanahashi. Uh-huh. Uh huh. He's 27 years old. He's six three. He's about 225. I think if WWE had him, for example, in their development center where they could uh, help him with his nutrition. And with his uh, strength and conditioning program that, uh, that they have there, uh, he could be a six-three, two hundred and forty-five pound, uh, you know, young, not even under thirty star. He speaks enough English that he has a foundation to learn it better. But he's been in the business eleven years, and he's only twenty-seven. So he was a one of those kids that came out of school and somehow got into the dojo. Uh, as a little pup and has just uh, grown up w- with that company. I mean, literally. Uh, you know, he, he's got his driver's license. You think about a kid now that's 16 getting their driver's license or their learner's permit. Mm-hmm. This guy's living with with hardened men in a, in a warehouse-like gym, uh, doing janitorial work uh, in between uh, wrestling practice sessions. And, and there's a difference in when you get to that level to where you're brought up to the main roster, the things that you've endured to get there are so much different than what the guys endure here without the wrestling territories and the travel and the low pay and the cheap hotels and all that stuff back in the day that they did. So there's a whole different culture and a mindset, uh, and that's why the, uh, they, they're so respectful and they're fun to and they're fun to watch. They're fun to be around. Man, they are intense dudes. Is it is it difficult? Do you think for guys who have come up like that to enter into like WWE's developmental center and and to now be put on par with other guys who haven't been brought up like that? Do you think that you end up developing a 
a chip on your shoulder that may not be the best thing, or is it a good thing? No, I think it's a good thing, Sam. I think that they know that they've already gone through the worst. There's nothing that can happen in the WWE Developmental Center that's going to uh, supersede what many of them have endured living in the dojo and graduating from that uh, that entity. So, uh, and I think that it, their challenges are language issues, uh, you know, kind of stylizing it to the American style, which I think to some degree is a mistake because if you, you don't want to train the uniqueness out of them. And the last thing that WWE, for example, needs is for a bunch of uh, same-trained guys that have the same tendencies, uh, the same look, the same t- uh, technique. Uh, you, want, you, you lose your uniqueness, mm-hmm. and then it's harder to gain the attention of the audience because, oh, they've seen someone like you. Yeah, uh, earlier in a card or, or last week or whatever. So I think that there's a they bring some uniqueness in, and you don't want them to be so. And this is not a negative; it's just the, the way that it is. In my views, it's like it's a little bit of NBA ish. You don't want to take the street ball completely away from the kids that come out of college after one year. You want them to still be young and athletic and and encouraged to be athletic and run and and play great defense and, and, and all this stuff, you don't want them to, to become institutionalized too quick, too quickly. So use their natural feel of the game and their skills to in, under control, but to be unique, to be a playmaker. And they get, these guys have got some real playmakers. I think that Nakamura, Okada, and uh, 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 Tanahashi would all do well in WWE. But if I had to pick one guy... I'd go with the 27-year-old uh, because uh, the obvious fact that he's got more years left, right? And he's young, and he can be, you know, trained and molded to, to 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 do some things Americanized, but to not lose his identity. Now, uh, Nakamura, Nakamura is the kind of guy that if you put him with a guy like Paul Heyman uh-huh. and let Heyman tell the story and maybe do some vignettes and. Uh, in New York and the in the Japanese part of town and the Asian culture and things of that nature, uh, then I think or he, he could speak a little English, but Heyman could basically talk for him, then he could do all of his things and, and Heyman could describe who he's a you know, he's a killer, he's a Renaissance man, he's this, he's that. Uh he he could probably become one of the great uh, heels in WWE at, at this stage of his game because he's He's trained in MMA in San Jose. He spent a lot of time in the States, and, and uh, so he's, it's not all foreign to him. So I, I, I think that uh, but a guy like him, I would look at bringing in, if it were me, just as a off-the-top-of-my-head deal, mm-hmm. and you put him with a mouthpiece that can really talk, and obviously the best mouthpiece in WWE and in the entire business right now is uh, uh, our friend Paul Heyman. This sounds like Stone Cold wasn't lying when he told... Vince McMahon on the podcast that you and he sit around on the phone booking the territory for him all the time, that you're, it's still 100% in you, the storytelling thing. How was, before we move off of the uh, Wrestle Kingdom 9, nine uh, how was working with Stryker? Uh, it was good. You know, uh, Matt's been doing uh, play-by-play for uh, Lucha Underground, so he was in a different role in the, in the lead role. He kind of ventured over into that role earlier in the show. Yeah. And then we, I think we kind of found our rhythm. The thing about the early part of the show that's hard for announcers is that we had the first, uh, I think the first three matches, maybe the first four, can't recall, uh, were multiple participant matches. So, so we had we had a four-team tag that was nothing but a high-spot fest and, mm-hmm. and run and gun and everybody shooting threes. Uh, no need for a shot clock type thing. Right. Uh, we had... An eight-man tag, uh, you know, we had a six-man tag, so you have all these names in this action, and and I'm and the, and you got a, the truck thing was really unique. Once we sat down at about 30 minutes before the show started, we never heard a word from anybody in our headset. We were we were not counted on the air. Wow. We were not counted to the video packages. We were not counted off the air. We heard not one single word in our headsets 
Uh, and people say, oh, you know, they, they've heard all about the the horror stories that that they have been embellished somewhat about, you know, how they're produced in WWE. It's not really that bad, but if you have thin skin or you're not comfortable with your game, it can be a little bit intimidating. Right. Uh, but the issue is is that, you know, we go on and I, I, they play the cold open, so I know we're on the air because it's on my monitor, and, and then I – they play the cold open, and they here comes somebody. Whoever was the first match, or oh, that fourteen tag, uh, the with the you know the oh the, golly the kids, uh, you know that look like the Hardys to me. Uh, the Bucks, yeah, the Bucks, the yeah, the young Bucks. They were they were really good. Too. Yeah, good kids, good hearted. But all those guys were that was a good match, and and so here they come. So I start. <laughs> right, hey, welcome, let's welcome. go. I go, we must well go. Cause I, think we're on the air. I glanced over, and the Japanese guys are already in hysterics. So uh, on the entrance <laughs> of the first match, so I said, I think we're on. So we, I go. Then they had three VTR packages. They give us formats earlier in the day, and they're all in one sheet, one big long sheet, and it's all in Japanese. Right. I said, this is not going to work for me. I'm sorry. Uh, so I was trying to get somebody either just write me down a lineup. So they printed a. Uh, uh, a format, a run sheet with English language, but it was we still got no count. So we knew the packages were existed, the history packages, you know, like the Nakamura uh, package, you know, talking about his yeah. match. Uh, so, but we didn't know when they were going to them. They never count us down, you know, package in ten, nine, whatever, nothing. So I, we got lucky on those. Striker talked over a little bit of one, but not before uh, uh, the talent started talking. So we didn't really screw that up too badly. And it would have been his fault anyway. We didn't know this was coming. And then going off the air, no one told me going off the air that uh, the their champion, Tanahashi, is going to go back up to the stage from the ring, which is like a mile away. And he, they were going to blow off this big pyro thing. But, hell, I've already signed off. But, you know, somebody said, well, it, wasn't, it was kind of unique because you signed off. And then you laid out, and then they showed the pyro. Right. So it it kind of worked out okay. So, But it was the first time we're out there for four and a half hours. We heard not one thing in our headset but each other. Man. So it was a, it, we went from one extreme yeah. sense to a, another. And so it was just we knew we had no commercial breaks to hit because it's a pay-per-view. Right. So we just kept on trucking, man, and it was uh, – but it was an adventure. I'm telling you, it was an adventure. My audio guy stood right, sat right beside me. I don't know why, because he didn't speak English. <laughs> and my Japan Japanese, not so good. Not it's like so good. I talk to you. speak English, and they put their fingers together, thumb and index finger, about an inch apart, a little bit. Right. No, you don't. You don't. <laughs> no, you don't. No. no. No English. No English. Um, well, let me ask you, while I've got you, about probably the biggest story today that's in professional wrestling, and that's uh, Randy Savage finally going into the Hall of Fame. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you think? Is this uh, a long time coming? I mean, it, I mean, it's kind of an obvious choice. Yeah. Um, really, I guess is there is this the last sort of sacred cow? Is there is there another? We've got Hogan, we've got Warrior, we've got Randy Savage, we've got you know. Superstar Billy Graham, Superfly, like, you know, is there is there anybody left after Savage? Uh, well, for some people there are, because I, I get, uh, after the Hall of Fame is concluded, every WrestleMania, I'll start getting tweets about next year. Mm-hmm. And I have nothing to do with this year, much less, <laughs> I don't think my status is going to change where I'm going to be... Uh, you know, on the voting committee for the WWE Hall of Fame. You'd be lucky if they let you keep your ring. Yeah, oh, yeah, the ring's, uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> oh, that's good. Uh, the, uh, it is funny. You can't have my ring. <laughs> yeah, it's staying here. Yeah, it's my ring. So, uh, so I, so I can see myself putting it in my mouth and swallowing my <laughs> ring. Now go find it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's yours if you can find it with your fingers. Yeah, follow me around for a few hours. Yeah. You'll find it. <laughs> uh, the uh, some people will say will say others. There's a lot of others. I can give you names: Rick Rude, 
uh, you know, um, uh, big boss man. But what about in terms of those like uh, headline draws? Like the last several years, there's always kind of been one real headliner, and as big of a deal as Razor Ramon and and everybody that went in last year. Yeah. Ultimate Warriors, the headliner this year. Macho Man, whoever else goes in is going to be the headliner. Aside from, you know, the Undertaker and maybe Triple H, I guess. What are there any headliners left? Good question. There's got to be. There's got to be somebody that uh, they can create the uh, perception of a headliner by re-familiarizing uh, the audience with the, that person's success. Our track record. Uh, it's it's ironic that I don't see anybody being a headliner above Savage. Right. That question is that we clearly answered. No, he's the, he's going to be the. Head. I would say I don't know this. I'm I'm guessing. How do you get bigger than Randy Savage on who's who's alive? And uh, the the negative of this whole deal, unfortunately, is that Randy's passed away, and uh, he's uh, uh, you know. People are saying, well, that was all I heard yesterday. I heard it. I get a call from Fox yesterday morning, and uh, they say, uh, boy, TMZ's announced this uh, savage thing. And, of course, WWE was very smart and strategic to get you know to get them the information, and they got some mainstream out of it and got it out there. Uh, but they said, can you write a story about Savage? Did you used to work with him? I said, yeah, I worked with him in 93 and 94. Uh, I said, I've tried to forget those days. <laughs> Because he was very challenging to work with. Yeah, I remember you were telling me, I forgot that you'd even worked with him, but the last time we talked, which, by the way, that interview's all over YouTube. If you haven't seen it already, you're one of the few. But, um, yeah, you were talking to me about it last time, about what a what a challenge it was for the short time that you worked with him over commentary. Yeah, and you know what? I, I, I don't want to speak ill of the deceased. Uh, I, I didn't. I never said I didn't, I didn't like him. I didn't know him. Mm-hmm. And so I wrote a – so Fox calls me yesterday and says, can you hammer out a piece on Randy Savage? And I said, yeah, i got a, a bunch of other projects. I can write it late tonight. You'll have it, uh, you know, when you get to work in the morning. So uh, I wrote a piece last night on Savage for Fox Sports that they just posted. So on foxsports.com, uh, and I put, sit the link out on Twitter, at JRSBBQ, uh, if you see it, maybe you can re- retweet it as well. Absolutely. Uh, but I, I, I explained, you know, my uh, my relationship with Randy, and the fact that you know when I first met him was at WrestleMania nine, he wouldn't even speak to me because uh, uh, Gorilla Monsoon was the scheduled to do the play by play for uh, WrestleMania nine. It was going to be my first day at the job, but then it changed to be. You know, come out and observe. Uh, then it was, well, we're going to have you do play-by-play. So my first live gig in WWE was play-by-play guy in a three-man booth outdoors at Caesar's Palace with uh, Randy and Bobby the Brain Heenan. Uh, Heenan and I had done some pre-recorded work back in Stanford, so we kind of had our stuff together. And he was so easy to work with and such a brilliant broadcaster, most natural comedic timing uh, as good as I've ever been around by far. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Lawler was really good. Cornette was really good. Heyman. But uh, Heenan was like the right there. I mean, he was like, he may be at the top of the list. So uh, I, that was a cool deal with me. He and I, we got along good. We flew from uh, New York to L.A. or to Vegas. Uh, and that was a great trip, the best I remember. Uh, I can't remember what we drank. We drank, a, we drank <laughs> everything of something. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, uh, so when he got to Vegas, he he uh, he was like my PR guy. Then he introduced me to Gorilla Monsoon, and Gorilla Monsoon and I had some mutual friends, uh, specifically Cowboy Bill Watts, who was a big star in New York back in the day. Russell Gorilla many times. They were even tag partners at one one point when they were heels. Uh, so Gorilla and Bobby kind of were my welcoming committee, uh, and they they broke a lot of ice and a lot of guys that were reluctant because I was the voice of the enemy. I was right. in from WCW, and they were mortal rivals, and I had taken my share of verbal shots at WWE over the years. Uh, and so I wasn't exactly, you know, I want to get employee of the day, although my first day on the job. 
but Savage was just distant and cold. So we have a big production meeting. The next day, I think, oh, this is the day before WrestleMania 9, the day of WrestleMania, I think, well, they're going to get us together and have an announcer's meeting so we can kind of, okay, you do this, you do that, how, nothing. I don't know if it's because he didn't want to meet or he, they were afraid to, they were, didn't want to piss him off anymore because he was all, all, he was in a real uptight mood. I've always thought that he was in an uptight mood for one of two reasons. One is that he wasn't sure I was going to show him his just due on the air, you know, and the homage to the macho man that he deserves, quite frankly, he deserved. Mm-hmm. And put him over, in other words, brother, put me over. Okay, I got you. you I'll put you over. Don't worry. I didn't get that. I didn't get I think that might have been that, or it might have been the fact that just two years prior to that, he was headlining these events. So now he's an announcer. It was hard to be the macho. It was hard for Randy Savage to be the macho man sitting at the announce table. Right. When he, when he believed in his heart and soul that he was still better than 99% of the guys working on that card that day. Yeah, and I mean, if I remember right, that's WrestleMania 9. It was a year before that that he was he had the world title match with Flair at WrestleMania. Was it a year? Was, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, it was only a year before. So he's... He's fallen from grace, and and the the wrestling issues that are inherent. The same thing if you talk to a, any entertainer, you talk to an actor on a TV series. What's their biggest fear? That their character is going to be written off the the show, that their character is going to be killed off or something. Mm-hmm. They got a steady gig. They're making good money. They're getting some name identity. They're getting their body of work out there because they got a regular TV gig. For example, same thing with an NFL guy. You're worried about getting hurt, getting put on IR, fading away. Right. You're worried about getting cut, you didn't make the team, and now you got to go to plan B to try to maintain your lifestyle, which most of them aren't prepared to do. Right. Uh, so uh, the wrestlers, you, you add the fact that the toll it takes on your body from a non-off-season business and then all those other paranoias, and uh, insecurities. Well, Randy was just, his personality was, it was just exasperated. He was always concerned about stuff. Thought always, he always seemingly, seemingly thought that there was a conspiracy here, a conspiracy there, and whatever. So he was very hard to get to know. Uh, and I didn't know in that, in, that, in that three-man booth, we're outside, there's a glare in our monitors, we can't really see our monitors, so we've got to describe what we can't see which is challenging, and I never knew when he was going to, he wanted in or he, he had something or not, and, uh, you know, he, he, if you go, went with him with a question and it wasn't what he wanted to answer, he'd look at you like he was going to kill you in about 30 seconds. <laughs> so then you get reluctant to even, you know, throwing the ball. Right, right. Uh, you know, so, okay, uh, well, I, don't know, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. So then the show became a lot about Heenan because Heenan was ready for anything uh, at any time. And Randy didn't kind of felt a little bit left out, and getting back involved, and then it was like you were trying too hard. It was just a hell of a day, and uh, you know I was I was jacked because it was my first WWE gig and it was WrestleMania for God's sakes. Right. I've been in the business 19 years, Sam. When I got to uh, Vegas in '93 for that for that that uh, that show, well, so uh, we just never did click uh, in that regard. I mean, there was never any big blow-ups or anything, but. Here's an example. We lived. He and I both lived in Stanford, and uh, in '93 and '94, uh, and we would work together on shows. Uh, like we did some Raws together. He and I uh, back in the days. I think that's '94 is when Vince had his issues with the feds. Right. And he was off TV for a while, so they brought me in, brought me back, and they put me with Savage, and we did some Raws, and we did. You know, some some other shows, and uh, we even did. I thought we did. He and Heenan and I did the next pay per view after WrestleMania '93, was the King of the Ring, and it was a good show. I thought. I thought we did a nice job, but man, he was just distant and cold. Heenan said the same. Heenan didn't hang around him either. No one really hung around him. He was a real lone wolf in a lot of ways. Well, I'm going to go back and uh, watch WrestleMania Nine now, in, in in the context of all that, I think it's going to be an interesting watch. Listen. I want to let you get back. Uh, I could talk to you all afternoon, but uh, I want to let you uh, get back to your life. Let's uh, let the people know where they can get your podcasts if they don't know already. And 
Of course, and I'll talk about this a little more uh, after the interview, but let's inform the people, too, of, of, of the gig that we have coming up together, yeah. you and I. That's going to be good. I'm really excited about this opportunity. I hope we have people there. If not, you and I will entertain each other. <laughs> that's right. Uh, Friday night, January 23rd. That's the Friday night prior to the Royal Rumble in Philadelphia uh, that WWE is holding, uh, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Friday night, January 23rd, you and I will be in Sayersville, New Jersey. That's right. At the uh, Starland Ballroom. Uh, pretty famous venue for what I'm told back in the day. Uh, but in any event, uh, the tickets, that event is going to start at 8 o'clock. Uh, it's called Ringside with Jim Ross. It should be called Ringside with Sam Roberts and Jim Ross. <laughs> uh, and you and I are going to uh, tag team through this uh, endeavor. The uh, VIP meet and greet start at 6 o'clock in uh, Sayersville. And then our show will start at 8 o'clock. And it basically is going to be a little... Uh, back and forth with you and I, a little monologue type thing. Uh, just have some fun in the beginning. And then we're going to turn it over to the uh, – then Sam is going to get amongst the people. That's right. And uh, he's going to Phil Donahue it. So kids, somebody said, what the hell is that? <laughs> yeah. Another, another Google for you. Freddie Mercury and Phil Donahue, you'll, you'll figure it out. Look at a clip. It's been an educational show. Yeah, man, and uh, TV history. Yeah. Uh, so uh, then we'll we'll get into the Q&As. And – I've always believed that if you're kind enough to come to my show, uh, we're taking start at 20 bucks on sale at www.axs.com. Uh, if you're nice enough to come see me, then I'm not going to put any limits on what you can ask. You can ask any question you want, and that becomes the fun part of the show when the audience gets involved and they start asking their questions and espousing what their concerns are or their likes or dislikes. And then you and I will address those questions, uh, hopefully in a fun way. Some questions are not uh, meant for comedy. Somebody's going to ask you and I, do you believe Chris Benoit should be in the Hall of Fame? Right. Somebody's going to say, J.R., what was your emotions when you saw Owen Hart fall from the rafters in Kemper Arena? There's, they're all, those all, I've done these too many times. You're going to get some of those questions. Some people just love to talk about tragedy, mm-hmm. catastrophe. So we'll get our, we'll work our way through those choppy waters and have some fun. So, and I'm going to tell you this too: if anybody shows up and asks a controversial question, and Jim Ross tries to skirt that question, I will not allow it. That's right. That question, everything's going to be answered. I'm going to ensure it. I'm like the enforcer referee. You're right. You're you're the man, and I and I respect the officials. That's right. And now don't wear a striped shirt for God's sake. <laughs> All right, we'll plan you B do, then. Hey, look, if you wear a striped shirt, you got to wear a sleeveless striped shirt, like the wrestlers do on television. Yeah, and I'm going to wear those uh, those little uh, 1997 Shawn Michaels shorts with it. Those tiny ones. Don't forget to put the two socks. <laughs> I won't. Uh, so, but that's going to be our deal. It's a Royal Rumble weekend. Uh, Friday night in uh, Sayersville at the uh, uh, Starland Ballroom. Then sun- Saturday, I'm, I'm going to have a little off day in Philly, so I'll probably gain about 12 pounds eating <laughs> cheesesteaks, like a you know a fattening hog. And then uh, Sunday, the day of the Rumble, I'm in I am in Philly at the Trocadero Theater, and the v- the meet and greets there start at one, and the show starts at three, and it'll be over in time for easy. Uh, uh, transportation, easy drive, or walk from the theater to the Wells Fargo Arena uh, to watch uh, the Royal Rumble. So, so there it's you go. kind of a Royal Rumble weekend. Should be fun. And uh, Sam and I have never worked together before officially. Right. right. So uh, we may find ourselves. We may hit a hit, a hit on a gold mine. I, I hope so. Everybody's got to be there in person. It's going to be history in Sayreville uh, there on Friday. And then uh, on Sunday, the Philly date, of course, JRSBBQ on Twitter and The Ross Report, one of the finest podcasts anywhere. You can get that on iTunes and PodcastOne.com. Interesting story this week on the podcast. I'm talking to a guy that a lot of wrestling fans will not know. Huh. So they're going to say, well, I'm not going to watch it. I'm not going to listen to that. It's with a guy named Lynn Denton who wrestled for years as the masked man called The Grappler. 
Mm. He was a really, really good, probably the most underrated mass wrestler that I've ever been around. But he got in the business in the territory areas. He worked all the big territories with all the top stars, all the all the booking geniuses. And it's, this is one of the most compelling, most interesting stories because back in those days, the promoters demanded that you not reveal your identity. In other words, you had to wear that mask. You couldn't stay where the other guys stayed. You couldn't be a pigeonholed as a wrestler because of how you looked. You had had to be a lone wolf because they did not want anyone to know your identity. That's before Twitter and social media and so forth. So I don't know if you could pull up, give them a cough now with, with anybody, but nonetheless, it's a real interesting story. My, a new show drops every Tuesday night, uh, 9 o'clock Eastern, on podcastone.com and iTunes. Well, very cool. And one of these days I'm going to end up on your podcast too. You are. All right. You are. We All have right. to do that. We, I want, here's what I'd like to do. I'd like to have you on so that we could do a WrestleMania uh, preview show. Oh, I'd love to do that. So we could kind of go down the whole card. Yeah. Here's what's happening and all that. Because I know you're going to be at WrestleMania in some shape, form, or fashion. I'm sure. I'm sure you are. Yeah. How could they do it without you? I don't think they could. And uh, But I'm looking at doing uh, one of my shows in that weekend as well. So, hmm. Huh. I want to think about that little deal because... I know you don't need the cash, but still, you could donate it to charity for the thousands, the thousands upon thousands that you would make on this show. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, and I got a couple charities in mind, so. I'm sure you do. <laughs> and think of the Wendy's. Yeah. It could almost be a year's supply of Wendy's for you. That's exactly right. Well, thanks for hanging out, buddy. I appreciate you uh, coming on the show. You bet, Sammy. I love you, man, and I appreciate all your help, and we're going to have a lot of fun. Hey, if nothing else. Uh, like I said, we're going to have a lot of fun. But tickets are still available, www.axs.com. And that's the last shilling thing I'm going to say, except that I'm very excited about seeing you, and we're going to have a blast. All right, man. I'll see you then. Okay. Here is Sam Roberts. We sound like friends, right? It's legit. Thanks to Jim Ross for calling in to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast this week again. You got to be out, especially at that Sayreville, New Jersey show, because yours truly, Sam Roberts, will be there as well. Uh, the only thing that I didn't get to talk to Jr. about, because we spent so long together, and there's only so much time that I can spend with you each and every week here on the podcast. I want to hear what he thinks about uh, Roman Reigns' uh, last set of promos, the SmackDown promo, the promo from Raw. I would, I would love to hear what Jim Ross's take on. Uh, on those promos were. Um, I could tell you my take. Jim Ross, Hall of Fame broadcaster. I could tell you about the Hall of Fame. There's a lot to talk about today. I've only got a couple minutes here on the State of Wrestling. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Well, to survive in a world of Hulk Hogan's, of Ultimate Warriors, of Ric Flair's, Of every major name, the names that I mention and the names from that era are not so much sports entertainers, but they're all icons. They are larger than life. They're these superhero, images of superheroes are what comes to mind when I start bringing up these names. To survive in that jungle and not only survive, but come out as as one of the main dudes Retain your status as one of the lions in that jungle is something that almost nobody could pull off. But you know who could? Randy Macho Man Savage, the newest inductee into the WWE Hall of Fame. It was good timing to announce that the Macho Man was finally going into this year's Hall of Fame uh, a few hours before tickets to the Hall of Fame ceremony went on sale. But... Nevertheless, no matter how you got there, I'm happy he's in. A lot of people are upset that it took this long for Randy Savage to enter into the Hall of Fame. Look, he got there, okay? It's not, a, it, it's not about the journey. It's about the destination. Isn't that what they always say? Yes. Of course Randy Savage should have been in the Hall of Fame a long time ago. He should have been, uh, he could have been, him and Andre could have been the first two members as far as I'm concerned. But you never know why people make the decisions he, they make. You never know why he wasn't asked to be a part of the Hall of Fame uh, while he was still alive. I don't, but what I do know 
is that he's been asked post-mortem, he's been asked now through his family to be a part of the Hall of Fame. And I think, uh, I think it's great. I think it really completes the Hall of Fame. But, I mean, you heard Jr. when I was talking to him earlier. Where do you go from here? Randy Macho Man Savage is in the Hall of Fame. Aside from Undertaker, I would predict the Undertaker will go in the Hall of Fame next year. And then maybe the year after that, maybe 2017, they put Triple H in. After you put Triple H in the Hall of Fame, what kind of headliners do you have? Is John Cena ready to go in there three years from now? What headliners do you have for the Hall of Fame? If you have an answer, tweet me, at NotSam, and uh, I'll talk about it a little next week again. I decided to go a little long with good old JR because he's just he's a wealth of experience and information. I thought it was worth it. Uh, so not a ton of time for the state of wrestling, but I am ecstatic that Macho Man is going in to the Hall of Fame this year. Uh, I think it's a long time coming, uh, but I think it's a very, very good thing. I'm surprised that Hulk Hogan is the guy who's inducting him. And I wonder, you know, we could all make statements. Based on everything that I know, I would think that Hulk Hogan is a bad choice to induct Macho Man because all I've ever heard was that Macho Man hated this dude. But at the same time, I've never talked to Macho Man Randy Savage. All my interactions with Macho Man have been while he's on television and I'm in my on, sitting on my couch pretending to have a conversation with this bearded man that was only going on in my head. So I don't know, but it seems like an odd choice for somebody that was so publicly uh, at war for so long with the Hulkster. Uh, I, I would assume that Lanny Poffo is going to accept four Randy Savage, and that's why he couldn't induct him. But you'd think even uh, having Diamond Dallas Page induct him, maybe Ric Flair could induct Randy Savage. I don't know. I don't know who this guy's friends were. I know he hung out with the Ron and Fez show in Florida many, many years ago. Maybe have Ron Bennington from the Ron and Fez radio show induct Randy Savage. I got photos of yours truly, Sam Roberts, in fourth grade dressed up as Macho Man Randy Savage. I'd love to induct the guy. Randy Macho Man Savage is the name. Anytime anybody asks me, Sam, you've interviewed every wrestler imaginable. You just had JR on the podcast. I want to know more about his career, though. I'll tell him. Go to YouTube. You can find the last time I interviewed JR, which was my first interview with him. Well, not the last. You find my in studio interview with JR. It was the first time I interviewed him, and we got to everything. It's over an hour long. It's on YouTube. I would recommend it. People say, who's the one wrestler? that you have not gotten to interview that you would like to. Randy Savage. He's the guy. He's the... I'll, I'll never get to, obviously. But he is the guy. I'd lo- The Undertaker... If you want to talk living, it's The Undertaker. But if you want to say, who is your all-time interview wrestler wish? You're talking wish. So I can live in a world of fantasy... And it's Macho Man Randy Savage. There's nobody I would rather talk to than that guy. Rest in peace, Randy. Also, speaking of rest in peace, I want to uh, say rest in peace to the ECW zombie. You guys remember, most of you will remember the ECW zombie from his uh, from his brief appearance on WWE's ECW show on Sci-Fi. He came out as a zombie and just uh, had the Sandman cane him. Uh, But he made a career for himself after that, wrestling on the independent circuit uh, as a zombie. I had him uh, up at SiriusXM on my radio show many, many times. At one time, he kicked down the door for the 60s on 6 at SiriusXM, and he put legendary New York DJ Cousin Brucey. This guy's got to be in his 70s. He picked him up and put him in a bear hug, unannounced. Okay, Cousin Brucey had no idea what was coming. I could have sworn I was getting fired that day. I thought he was going to kill Cousin Brucey. But the ECW zombie, we talked many times, texted, phone calls. This was a guy, he loved three things. Loved, I tell you. And he talked about it all the time. And he was not shy about telling me how much he loved these three things. He loved pro wrestling. He loved the business. Loved wrestling. He was living his dream every time he got in the ring. He loved broadcasting. You talk about living your dream. This was a guy. He, the things that he would say after I brought him on the show, whether it was to 
bear hug cousin Brucey to sit down and talk about his time as a wrestler, whatever it was. He would never stop thanking me for the for the times that I invited him on the show because he loved radio that much. He loved broadcasting and he loved his young son and it's a really it's a really sad thing that uh, the ECW zombie Tim Arson Roberts no relation is uh is no longer with us. So thoughts and prayers go out to the family of the zombie and his uh beautiful young son. Um but Maybe one day he'll be a headliner in the WWE Hall of Fame. Who knows? I'm going to be happy for this year, hopefully, and I would think that I'll be there in attendance. If I am, maybe I'll do a podcast from the hotel room or something and tell you all about it. Either way, you'll hear about it here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. By then, I hope you would have a t-shirt. You can get a What's the Haps t-shirt, a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt, a Not Sam t-shirt. They're all available at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts and... You can support the podcast by going to NotSam.com, clicking on the podcast link, and go to Amazon.com. Order everything you were going to order at Amazon.com, but do it through that link. That way, a little kickback goes to support this podcast, and I can keep bringing you great guests like Jim Ross this week, Jay Briscoe last week. I mean, who else has been on? Billy Corgan, Carl Anderson, Seth Rollins, Chris Jericho. And we're still new at this, folks. It's only getting better. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week here on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Annie had an earache on a Saturday of all days. So her mom brought her to Minute Clinic at CVS, where you can see a provider, fill a prescription, and grab essentials like pain relief products, all in one visit. Even on evenings and weekends, you can even see us online with telehealth options. For quality, affordable care on your schedule, visit Minute Clinic at CVS. That's healthier made easier. Services vary by location. See MinuteClinic.com for details. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.